You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another, between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you, because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So as we come to this particular passage, I'm reminded of a a story about an American tourist who was over in the Holy Land. And as he was over there, he noticed this young Jewish man across the street leading a small flock of sheep. Uh, but the, the man kept hitting them with a stick to get them moving. And, and the American was watching this and became very angry at what he was seeing. And so he decided he was going to go over and speak to the Israeli gentleman. Uh, he went over to him and said, that is no way for a shepherd to treat their flock. To which the Israeli paused for a moment and said, shepherd, I'm a butcher. And notice it's interesting. We assume that a shepherd should display care for the animals that they're watching over, that, that they have a, an affection for them, a desire to lead them appropriately. And so Ezekiel 34 is a great place to go to see that not only is God a compassionate shepherd, 
But ultimately, Ezekiel is pointing us to Jesus Christ, the compassionate shepherd. And so as we come to this section in scripture, it's helpful to have a little bit of background here. Um, last week, we looked at Jeremiah, who had some similar things to say about the shepherds in Israel. And so in Ezekiel 34, the first 10 verses are all an indictment against the leaders and shepherds of Judah during this time. So they, they basically match and mirror what Jeremiah had to say, uh, that the shepherds were selfish. The shepherds were beating their flock. They were not feeding them, but manipulating them. And the other helpful piece to keep in mind here is Ezekiel is a priest and he's writing in exile. So in other words, he's writing from Babylon where they are presently in exile, where you could say the people are hurting. Uh, the people are facing devastating circumstances. And so what would be a more appropriate occasion to remind them of what it means to speak of one who is a compassionate shepherd. And so we're going to tie this verse in this section of scripture in Ezekiel 34 around three words. The, the compassionate shepherd seeks, saves, and sanctifies. And so if we keep those words before us, seeks, saves, and sanctifies, that should help us understand the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so let's start with that first term, simply that Jesus Christ, the compassionate shepherd, seeks after his sheep. And so you notice in verse 11, our text simply begins with, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep. And there you have that context that's so important. Why is God himself going to search? Because those who have been appointed to positions of leadership, both religiously and politically, are not leading the people to God. They are bad shepherds, ineffective shepherds. And so the Lord himself says that he is going to search after his own sheep. Uh, and so you notice that verb search there in verse 11 uh, means to seek with great care. Uh, meticulously to investigate. And so you have a picture here of, of God himself, who is the shepherd of Israel. But again, pointing us to one who will come as being the compassionate shepherd who will walk among us. But there's an additional verb that comes up in not just verse 11, but in verse 12. You notice that in verse 11, it says, not only will the sovereign Lord search for my sheep, but it says, and look after them. And then in verse 12, it's repeated twice as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock. So I look after my sheep. And that just accentuates the compassion and the love that the Lord has for his sheep. Uh, because that particular verb to look after, some translations render to seek out, uh, expresses deep concern. And so here we have a picture of a holy, a righteous God seeking after those who are unworthy and unrighteous. And we've said this many times that this is a distinguishing mark of Christianity 
where, where God himself seeks after us. Whereas every other religion has that reversed. It is you who try to seek after and find God. So we're dealing with this compassionate savior in verse 12, God will be a shepherd after his scattered flock, which leads to the question, why would a flock scatter? Well, it usually has to do with either some kind of distraction or deliberately being led astray. And so you see in verse 12, it mentions here that I will rescue them from all places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. In other words, this may be making an allusion to the periods in the wilderness and God's history of the people of Israel, where at times God's presence seemed to be veiled, where he seemed to be hidden. In other words, during difficult circumstances and trials, that God was still present there, seeking to lead his people. And that is a reminder, I think, to all of us, uh, that in this present world where we have many challenges, uh, that, that we in Christ are not overcome by those challenges, even though at times our trials may somewhat veil the presence of God. We know that he is there. We know that he continues to lead us. Just like in one of the Psalms, it speaks of how God led Israel, even when they did not see or there were no footprints of God. What a powerful reminder as Ezekiel is saying to an audience in captivity that, that the compassionate shepherd seeks after his sheep. But I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 9, because in this theme of seeking after his sheep, it's not only describing God, but it is pointing ahead to Jesus Christ. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 and verses 35 through 36, you come across a scene that is also in the Gospel of Luke. But in Matthew 9, 35 and 36, Jesus is about two years into his public ministry. He's finishing out his, his tour and teaching in Galilee. Uh, and you come to these verses that remind us of not just how Jesus responded, but then challenge us to consider why did he respond in the way that he did. Picking up at verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so immediately we always key in on the response in verse 36. He had compassion. Uh, in other words, he was inwardly moved in such a way that he expressed it outwardly. And so that word compassion means not just you have empathy, not just you, you are deeply affected, but then it leads to outward physical behavior or response. So Jesus Christ is moved with compassion. Here we have, in a sense, that picture of the one that Ezekiel was speaking about. But the other question in Matthew is not just Jesus' response 
but why did he respond that way? And so Matthew in that text in verse 36 tells us, because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless. Uh, the first word there, harassed, means they, they were troubled. Uh, and I think we can look around us today and say, who do you know is not troubled by something going on in their personal life or in their life uh, in this world? Um, and we also see people who are not just troubled, but then this next phrase, they're helpless. Uh, literally, they feel thrown down, beaten down, uh, without any resources. And that gives you a glimpse when Jesus must have said this. There must have been those who heard this, including his disciples, which would have said, this sounds exactly like what it was like in ancient Israel. The, the people had really no shepherds. The shepherds were so awful that they would have been better at times to have no shepherd rather than the ones that were around them, their political leaders, their religious leaders. And so we see in Jesus Christ, one who seeks after his sheep. Let's return to Ezekiel chapter 34 and come to our, our second word. Not only does Jesus, the compassionate shepherd, seek after his sheep, but he does more than that. Jesus Christ saves his sheep. And so as you return to Ezekiel 34, it's important for us to realize that we're reading Ezekiel 34 with the advantage of having the New Testament. And so we know that what Ezekiel is talking about it here is not just that God will shepherd his people out of Babylon, like he shepherded them out of Egypt, but it's pointing to a much greater picture of God in Christ eventually saving his people and not just physically delivering them, but spiritually delivering them. And so as we come to Ezekiel 34, I want us to consider that Jesus saves his sheep and that salvation is a Trinitarian work. In other words, when, when we even think of Christmas, we shouldn't just think of God the Father or shouldn't just think of Jesus Christ. We should think of every member of the Trinity and the involvement and, and distinct role or activity each played. And ultimately, that each plays in the work of salvation. So if you look at Ezekiel 34, you notice in verse 11, 15, 17, and 20, the title, Sovereign Lord. So we're considering that first, salvation is, in one way, the work of the Father. Because it's the Father who planned salvation. It is the Father who sent the Son and the Spirit. And so this title, Sovereign Lord, accentuates that this is Adon Yahweh, that this is the God who has all authority, is speaking. And so very typical of the prophets often, when they're done delivering their message of the Lord, they simply say, as Ezekiel does in verse 34, I, the Lord, have spoken. Like, like this is certain because the Lord has said it, because Adon Yahweh has said it. And so that's what that title, Sovereign Lord, stresses. 
But then you see there's a second title that comes up in verse 24 when you have, I, the Lord, will be their God. Now we have another title. You have Yahweh Elohim, the one who is self-existent and the creator will, in essence, create a new people. And so when Israel does come out of the Babylonian captivity, in many ways, it is similar to a recreation of God's people, a continuation and faithfulness of his covenant that he made with Abraham. But yet God is restoring them, completely reversing what they've been going through. And so we see there the work of, we would say, God the Father, ultimately in salvation. But Advent reminds us that it is Jesus Christ, the Son, who accomplished our salvation. He came and took on flesh, in addition to already being God. The Son died on the cross. The Son rose again. And so looking at that aspect, notice in Ezekiel 34, and verse 12, the second half of the verse says, I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. The word rescue there means literally to take away, to liberate. Now for Israel in 70 years after the Babylonian captivity comes, they will experience liberation from Babylon to such a degree that Cyrus will be described by God as my servant, because God will use Cyrus to allow the people to return to the land and, and give them many resources to be able to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. But yet notice here that it says, I will rescue them. And because we have the New Testament, the completed revelation of God now, we can see that this is pointing to what Jesus did, where he delivered us from sin and darkness. Then looking at verse 23 and 24, notice it says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend, he will tend them and be their shepherd. And we know immediately that God is not saying he's bringing David back from the dead. From Israel's perspective, being in Babylon meant that it looked like that Davidic line to the throne was broken. That although they had a king, as we mentioned last week, Zedekiah, he was a puppet king. Uh, he was controlled by Babylon. Uh, here God is reminding us that ultimately this promise of one shepherd one singular shepherd, one who would follow and reign on the throne of David forever and ever, would only be fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. And even our meditation from Isaiah 61, Jesus would quote that in the temple and say, today in your hearing, this has been fulfilled. Jesus took and exegeted, interpreted this text and applied it to himself. I am the good shepherd. But the, certainly we want to always include the work of the Holy Spirit. So if the Father planned salvation, the Son accomplished it, it is through the Spirit that it is applied to us and made effective. 
And you can't speak of Christ's first advent without clearly referencing the work of the Holy Spirit in that process and in that coming of Christ in the flesh. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 and verses 20 through 23. Where we are reminded of the work of the Holy Spirit as we consider as a whole that Jesus saves his sheep. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And there we have that complete bookend, Ezekiel. I will come, and I will rescue. I will save. Now, the child coming as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit will be given the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. But salvation is not just a Trinitarian work, but clearly it is a work of grace. And so let's go back to Ezekiel 34. And in verses 12 through 15, there's a series of actions that the Lord himself will take. In other words, removing from us and removing from the people of Israel any emphasis on how they will deliver themselves. It will be God who will deliver them. And so it is a work of grace. And so if you were to scan just briefly verses 12 through 15, you have a series of actions that God says he will take. Notice it says in verse 12, I will rescue them. Then it goes on and speaks about in verse 13, I will bring them out. I will gather them. I will pasture them or I will bring them into pasture. I will tend them, and I will see that they lie down in good grazing land. Everything emphasizing God as the shepherd of Israel. Jesus Christ as that coming and future compassionate shepherd who will do all of those for us, but not in a physical way, but spiritually. Deliver us from the power and guilt of sin, Deliver us from the fear of death. And so we see in this compassionate shepherd, one who seeks after the sheep, one who not just seeks after them, but is powerful enough to save them. And then finally, we come to the third verb here that we want to focus on, and that is sanctifies. That Jesus, the compassionate shepherd, sanctifies his sheep. Now, the word sanctify means to, to set apart and to make holy. And we often refer to that process in the Christian's life of continually growing in Christ, being changed into his image as this lifelong spirit-led work of sanctification. But if you were to look at Ezekiel 34, you notice in verse 16, where this work is described that I will search for the lost, I will bring back the strays, 
but then I will bind up the injured, strengthen the weak. That's exactly what we read in Isaiah 61, pointing us to Jesus Christ who will come as a bruised reed, a gentle, compassionate Savior who will bind up the hurting, will be a father to the fatherless. In other words, the work of salvation includes this ongoing sanctification of restoring and reviving us. Israel would experience a complete reversal when they're delivered from the Babylonian captivity. And you often see this same recurring theme in the minor prophets where God will have to at times judge his people, discipline them. But then you'll read how he promises to reverse that when they display repentance and put their trust in him. And so when we think about our sanctification, it is this reminder that God saves us in Christ Jesus. But I'm sure we're all aware that that doesn't mean all of our sin and sinful nature is completely removed. And you see this in a glimpse in the people in verses 18 and 19 of our text, where after speaking of their deliverance, it says, is it not enough for you to feed on good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink, what you have muddied with your feet? In other words, the Babylonian captivity did not solve all the problems that the people of Israel had. Even when they were returned to Jerusalem and they rebuilt the temple, we're very much aware they still dealt with sin in their lives. And God would, in his timing, continue to refine them and process that through trials and difficulties and tribulation. Much the same way he seeks to do in you and me and Jesus Christ. That he doesn't just save us from judgment. Now he desires to purify us, to refine us, to perfect holiness in us. And so we see that in Christ, that compassionate shepherd, that he sanctifies his sheep with justice. Because you notice in verse 17, as well as in verse 20, it speaks of judging. I will judge between one sheep and another, between rams and goats. Then in verse 20, he says, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. In other words, as God redeems his people, he continues to display justice, to punish what is sinful, to reward what is righteous, with the goal in the life of his sheep to transform us into his image. And we get a taste of that image through a similar phrase that was said back in Exodus, which was hinted at in Genesis, which goes all the way through to the book of Revelation. And that is in Ezekiel 34 and verse 24. Notice the first couple words. I, the Lord, will be their God. That's the goal, that we be sanctified in Christ, that one day we will dwell forever and ever in his presence with nothing to inhibit or separate us from his glory and reflecting and worshiping him as we were created to. I will be their God. 
and you know often it's followed by, and they will be my people. And so we see this process of sanctification slowly being unfolded here, but reminded that that is completed in us through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so turn to John chapter 10. And last week I had us go to John chapter 10, but earlier in the chapter, where Jesus said that he is the good shepherd. And by looking at Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, we're kind of listening to that now through the ears of an ancient audience. That when Jesus said he was the good shepherd, we would think about the God of Israel. We would think about how the times in our history when we did not have a shepherd who led us. But in John chapter 10, thinking about Jesus Christ sanctifies his sheep, look with me at verses 14 through 16. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus clearly is referencing here to, to how the gospel will go to the Gentiles, not, not just to the immediate audience of, of Jews that he focused on in his ministry, but this will go to all people, Jew and Gentile. But notice Christ's emphasis, there is one flock. And as Ezekiel said, there will become one who will be one shepherd, who will be a prince over his people, a ruler and a mighty God. And so hopefully this passage reacquaints us with what it means to speak of Jesus Christ as the compassionate shepherd. It should impact our ability to rejoice in celebrating his first advent and anticipating his second. And there's also another very practical part of this, that we are to imitate Christ. And so one of the immediate applications of Ezekiel 34 is this is what your spiritual leaders and spiritual shepherds are to be like in Christ church, that they are to shepherd and lead just like this. But it's also a challenge to each of us as believers that if we're to imitate Christ, we're to imitate these marks and characteristics of the one true shepherd in our relationship and interaction with others, to bind up the hurting, to care for those in times of need, uh, to shepherd them like we are shepherded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you have displayed your grace and your mercy to us in Christ. May you keep this before us this week, that no matter what our circumstances, no matter what trials may enter our lives. Thank you that we have a compassionate savior. And may we display that compassion to our church family, to the way that we are concerned for each other. And also Lord, that we would see those around us as being helpless and harassed without the true shepherd. We ask this in Jesus name, amen.